Warning, this show contains naughty language, adult themes, and may contain mentions of Scientology. Listener discretion is advised. The church is not affiliated with or endorses the show in any way. Welcome to My Truth On, and this week we are going to be discussing the Mace Kingsley Ranch in 1988. My name is Trevor W. Heasley. We have a guest named Ian, who in 1988 was 16 years old when he was going to the Mace Kingsley Ranch. Now, the Mace Kingsley Ranch is a school for wayward youth and troubled children. It was run by Scientologists. Uh, one of the top people at the school was a man named Wally Hanks. Ian, our guest, back in 1988, set up a audio recorder in a garage which doubled as a Scientology training room. What Ian got on tape was Wally Hanks allegedly beating a child named Marco. The audio is very difficult to listen to. So with that said, we are going to issue a trigger warning. If you are triggered by child abuse, by stories of child abuse, or hearing a child being abused, this is probably the one episode you want to skip. For those that stick around, we are going to be hearing from Ian, who, like I said, in 1988, recorded allegedly Wally Hanks beating a child named Marco. I've had a, a few people ask me, why do I want to do this episode? Why beat a dead horse? The incident happened in 1988. Why talk about it? Because I don't think Ian or Marco are alone. What I know is that Scientology policy never changes. They never deviate from it, and it is to never be questioned. So anything that would be happening in 1988, which was dictated by policy, would still be happening this day if following policy. The other reason I want to do it is because, so except for the two years that I spent in the group, I spent the next two years after that uh, doing research on what they call black PR, going down that rabbit hole. And up until now, I had never actually heard this story. Another reason to do this episode and release this show is because not only are we going to hear the audio recording of Wally Hanks allegedly beating a child, but I was able to do some, um, some cleanup work on the audio. So we're going to hear it a little bit clearer. And we're also going to find out through Ian, what happened before the tape was recorded, while the tape was being recorded, and what happens after the infamous tape has been released. With that said, cue the music. Are you working now? Hey Ian, can you, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Awesome, I can hear you great. Um, I've got a sound person with me. Let me let me see if, if we could hear her. Can, can you say test? Testing, testing, one, okay. two, three. 
How you doing? I'm doing good. You know, I thought maybe like we'd talk about the, the Mace Kingsley Ranch. When you were in it, it was what? It was in Nevada? Well, they, you know, she started off in L.A. They were they were in East L.A. and they shoot. Debbie Mace and Carol Kingsley were running a school out of their house. I think at some point they actually are amazed to keep kids like locked up in her house in her attic. This is a group called Mace Kingsley, which is um basically is it just run by Scientologists or or was it run by Scientology? Um, no, it was run by um, independent people. I mean they were they were working with the permission of the church. Okay. You know, and and it, but, it you was know. it was run using like teachings from L. Ron Hubbard, and it, it was like you know it, it, it followed the policy of the church, correct? Yeah, and you know, and if you went into the church, they would actually recommend that you send your kids there. You know, it's one of those things. Oh, you're having trouble with your kids? Yeah, send them to Mace Kingsley. What brought you to go to Mace Kingsley? Well, actually, my brother. I had an older brother who got on drugs when he was ten, and so he ended up going there first. And he actually lived there for, I don't know, probably about a year. According to him, actually, um, Lisa Marie, the um, daughter, also was there for a while. And um, I don't I don't have any, you know, confirmation of that, but, you know, that's what I was told. So but, um, this isn't like like, so like a, a normal school. This is a, a like a place for, like, troubled kids, maybe kids who are on drugs, kids, kids who, 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 have, who have it kind of rough in life, maybe are not making some of the best choices. Um, so, like, Scientology parents would send them here? Would, would like, non-Scientology parents send their kids to make changes? No, no. There okay. were no non-Scientology kids there. All right, so that kind of puts things into, like, context a little bit more. There's a, a, a audio file. Do they know you were the one who released the audio file? Do they know? Yes. Oh, yeah, they know. When you first contacted me, you tried to like give me a little bit of um, like, like credibility for yourself or basically tried to verify who you are and what you did is you sent me an audio file a file that that you recorded in 1988 i believe and it was of wally hanks abusing a little kid named marco correct yeah he was actually a teenager but yeah, he was a he was pretty small and skinny, I and mean, he wasn't like big and strong. Okay, when you say say teenager, you mean like sixteen, fifteen, or are we talking like eighteen, nineteen? I think he was close to sixteen. I don't know if he was fifteen or sixteen yet, but he was right around that age. He's basically the same age as I was. When was the last time you heard the audio? I listen to it every once in a while. I mean, I pretty much have it, you know, memorized. I did a little bit of audio cleanup on it. Um, I mean, would it? Be okay with you if if I played the audio for everybody to to hear, and then you can kind of comment as to what's going on or what because you 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 recorded it, you were there, right? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you the whole backstory of you know how it kind of came yeah. to be. Yeah, one one of the things that I'm really interested in is um I I I too have have had the moment where I was like, you know what, this is bullshit. I'm going to pull out a recorder because nobody else is going to believe me unless I pull this out. But something happened before that incident that, that made me go, oh, oh, all right, I need to start documenting. Now, you made the, the decision to start documenting when Marco was, was being basically, in my opinion, tortured. Um, what, what actually brought you to make the decision, like, I need to start documenting this? 
Like what what happened just before that? Well, it was it wasn't really that kind of mindset. Um, what it was was basically um, Marco was um, Marco was also you know he wasn't a, a really um, nice kid. He had, he had actually beat me up a couple times. So you know he had run away and they had tricked him into coming back oh. and they didn't they Marco didn't know but while he was on his way back they were setting up this whole thing where Wally had you know was making a paddle from scratch and drilling holes in it to make it you know cut through the air faster and they you know he had two other large men you know kind of rehearse what they were going to do when he got back and you know they set up the course room so you know, they were going to take him in there and, you know, give him a, a justice lecture. This was premeditated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They had planned it out for at least two days. Wally made the paddle, you know, in front of all the kids. And he offered, there was, I think, eight kids there at the time. It was right when the, the ranch started. It was like, you know, within the first year of it starting. And he had offered the kids, he said, okay, carton of cigarettes for whoever lets me test the paddle out on him. So there's this one kid in there named Charles. He was just a real screw-up, and he, he volunteered, and you know, he stood up in the middle of the room, and Wally whacked him with the paddle, and he, he screamed like a banshee, and, you know, it was, it was, all, it was all kind of fun, at ga- fun and games at first, you know. But then, you know, I guess, I guess after a while it morphed into just, you know, just everybody got beat but marco was the first the very first one that got the paddle at the ranch there was no beatings except for you know kid on kid beatings before that from uh from from doing a little bit of research into a to a wally um i went on to the uh, tony ortega site the uh the underground bunker and um apparently he died in 2017 and his son is uh quoted as saying um his his dad wally still had the paddle hanging on his wall, like in a position of almost worship to me, that, that really bothers me that like, yeah, you know, I mean, something which, 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 which would like, like inflict pain on kids has become like, like an, almost like an idol of worship for this, 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 I don't, know, I don't really want to call a man, but yeah, there was actually, um, on, on Leia Remini's show, there was a guy, Nathan Rich, who, you know, described, you know, getting paddled with that paddle and, he said, you know, after Wally was done, I think another girl, um, Astra Woodcraft, talked about, you know, the same thing, where she said, you know, when he was done, he would put a notch in it, oh. <laughs> like a, you know, like, like a notch in his gun or something. But were you ever on the end of of Wally's paddle? No, no, oh, he knew good. better than to be. I would, I would have burned his house down, <laughs> literally. <laughs> we had chatted a little bit earlier. Um, you uh, said you were about two years old when you were introduced to Scientology. From from what I've read, and it, it makes sense that, that there's really three ways that that one would enter a uh, a, a cult. One of them is to be um, tricked into it. One of them is to be recruited into it, and one of them is to be born into it. Um, although you weren't technically born into it, I would say two years old is um, pretty much you you were there without a choice. And you know, and I didn't I didn't know any better, you know, until I got older. I, I figured it out when I was about. 11, 12, you know, and I finally, when I got to be 13 years old, you know, I just said, Hey, I'm not doing this anymore. And so, you know, then they, they started in on the, you know, the pressure and stuff. And like, what, what did they uh, try to do to, to make it seem more fun or, or entertaining to a child? Well, my, my, my thing was, um, 
I had, I had reached the state of clear at age 12, which was, you know, pretty rare. And, um, they, they put me, they, they, they put me right, you know, on track to start my OT levels at age 13. I mean, I had the solo course paid for, I had already done the sunshine rundown and that they, my parents had me kind of saving every quarter and every dollar I got for Scientology. And then they would match, you know, me by my mother would match me a dollar for a dollar. And my dad would match me a dollar for a dollar. So, you know, I got this first like $2,500 when I was a, you know, 11, 12 year old kid. And, and they took it and, you know, spent it on, you know, I was living basically in poverty at that point because they were spending all their money on Scientology. So they, you know, they spent this $2,500 or whatever on the sunshine rundown. And I went over to Celebrity Center to do it, and they gave me this check sheet. And mm-hmm. the check sheet was like, okay, you, you go outside and you start talking to trees and rocks and, and you know, and, and just this weird crap that made no sense. And, you know, when I was done, I was like, you know what, I'm still miserable. You know, my life is miserable. And, you know, I just wasted all this money. I could have had a nice bicycle or something, you know, to ride around and have fun, you know, or you know, I could have gone to Disneyland or something, you know, and instead I got the sunshine rundown. And at that point, you know, I was just like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. So just, talking to trees and like imaginarily talking to inanimate objects and stuff is no replacement for a bicycle for a child. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> That's it, insane. There, there, was, there, was no, there was no sunshine on the sunshine rundown for me. You did, did the uh, sun, sunshine rundown and you were still kind of not happy after that. What was the uh, the next step to to try to uh, change your mind? Well, at that point, you know, I said, look, I'm not, you know, I mean, I was kind of a, you know, a strong-minded kid. You know, if I didn't want to do something, I, you know, I wasn't going to do it. And so, you know, I just, I just told him, look, I don't want to do this anymore. It's a waste of money. You know, I'm wasting my parents' money. They should be spending it on, you know, other stuff. And, you know, I just, it, you know, it was just obvious to me that it was the wrong thing to do. So, you know, I said, look, I'm not picking up the cans anymore, you know, and, and they would, they would put me in session and I'd say, I'm not picking up the cans, you know, <laughs> and that's like the worst thing you can do to, you know, when you're in Scientology is refuse their auditing. That's like, you know, that's like going to church and, and you know, pissing in the, in the confessional booth or something. Well, yeah. Automatically, oh. like, like you're going to set off yeah, a, lot, yeah. a lot of alarms, but the moment you say it, it either didn't work or I'm not going to do this right now. They don't like yeah, that. And at I had been, I had been on, you know, on lines at the the lower org there at Big Blue. I guess you know the ones where you just go on course. And then once I reached clear, you know, they sent me across the street to the upper org, the upper level org. I don't, I don't remember the acronyms. You know, there's ASHO and AO. I don't, I get them kind of confused. Yeah, there's one in the middle of the in the middle of the street on L. Ron Hubbard. You know, like a big building, and then there's like a smaller oh, building right. You're you're talking about Big Blue. You uh, go down there now, and like everyone's like, "Why are you here? Why are you even looking at our building?" It, it, it's really, really creepy. Yeah, it was it was nothing like that in the in the <laughs> You know, it was just it was just like another street in Hollywood. Oh, if I show up there, they'll probably call the cops <laughs> right off the bat. You know, oh, the terrorist is here. Oh, terrorist. What, what, what have you done to terrorize them? Uh, nothing really. But, you know, they 
I mean, when I when I was protesting in the early in the like 2009, 2010, I made a lot of phone calls to every number they had, you know, and I, you know, call them up and say, well, why do you abuse children? Why do you do this? You know, you guys are, you know, and I, I was, you know, made some crank. Not, you know, I didn't make any threats, but you know how they they like to twist things around, and, yeah. you know. You know, I called. I even called like Delphi a couple times and asked him, you know, why are you, why did you abuse me when I was a kid? You know, um, can you know, do you, do you feel bad about that? Or you know, just, have I mean, have you ever? I mean, I I I'm sure you have, but have you ever thought about like going to the authorities on it? I mean, I, I'm sure some of these assholes are still alive, right? Yeah, you know, I've talked to law enforcement about it, and they're just kind of they're so underfunded these days. They don't have the resources to just go investigate, you know, the cult. I mean, they can barely, you know, have time to do the the crimes that they're assigned to. You know, the stuff that's going on now. They don't have any resources to go back twenty years, or you know. Well, what I'm going to do right now is, is I'm going to play the uh, the the audio that uh, you recorded in 1988. Um, the, the gentleman that, that you hear on, on the recording, Wally Hank, did pass away in 2017. So, I mean, there's really nothing that, that can be done to him now except for, um, you know, like destroy his legacy. And from the interview that I heard that somebody did with him, he, he gives a shit about his legacy. Um, are, are you okay with me playing the uh, tape? Yeah, there's actually another guy on the tape. His name was Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of there's you know two large men there, and then there was a another um, adult, kind of a teenager. I think he was 19 or 20, but he didn't talk at all. He's just there, kind of for to chase Marco around and catch him. All right, so so, so but yeah, but, basically, if Marco wanted to run at this point and he didn't want it to happen, it, he had no choice, correct? Like 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 he there was two large guys there. You said, yeah, he was cornered in the course room. That makes well, they they had. That, they had the course room in the garage, so he was cornered in the garage. That makes it even worse. Um, so did this uh, clip go, goes on for about eight, eight minutes. Um, Ian, if you want me to stop it at any point, j- just say stop. All right, here we go. Okay. Okay. It sounds like a real film bag. Right, right now we're, we're just kind of build, building up to it. Things are a little bit quiet. Yeah, they're basically chasing him around right now, you know, trying to trying to get a hold of him. He, he's saying, like, come on, Marco, come on, Marco. Yeah, he, he was a skinny little kid. I mean, it was he was you know wily. They were they were they had a hard time getting their hands on him. I, I tell you, the part that really bothers me is he was being beat while having to look L. Ron Hubbard in the eye. That's just the thing. Right, he's telling him to bend over, take it, and we'll be done. Yeah, I think that was Mike who said that. Yeah, that's Mike Miller. Right. Take it like a man? Yeah. yeah. Why does it Mike be a man and not beat children? Yeah, he's another sicko. He likes to castrate pigs. Come on, be a 
chairs being being moved or like some kind of like setup being being created yeah they they arranged the desks so he they could like kind of call him and they were going to hold him against the desk that's what it was and and none of these guys went to a jail for this no it was sanctioned by he he submitted it to the church to the case and everything so it was all sanctioned i have no idea how like this pisses me off the parents knew about it too. Uh, all right, he's taking his jacket off. This poor, poor kid. Yeah, so he's sweating. It was, it was. This is in Palmdale, so he was hot, sweating, sweating. All right, the uh, bad part's about to start. I'm gonna have a a, a moment of silence here. think it's over and, and he doesn't get beat anymore 
the worst part, the worst part is about to happen right now. Yeah, that's, that's what I was about to say. The end is the worst. I mean, you, you would think him getting beat would be the worst, but, but no, Wally tops it off. Yeah, he makes him shake his hand. He tries to make him sit down on his butt after he got spanked. Listen to the hatred, the absolute hatred and just evil you're about to hear when Wally loses his temper. All right, so I'm going to stop it there. Um, I, I, I don't really want to hear anymore, and my sound person has walked away. <laughs> yeah, I so, get that reaction a lot. Um, I noticed that at, at, at one point during that... Um, um, Marco asked, is this policy? Yeah, he asked, can I see the policy? So while, while did this, this teenager is being beat by the, this big guy named Wally with a thick belt, his only concern is, show me the policy? How mind-controlled... Oh, he's, he's trying to delay the, the beating. He's trying to find some way to get out of it, you know? I mean, oh man, I, I, I'm. This is weird for me. I'm actually at a loss for for a word words here. So when um when 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 Wally lost his temper, and all, all you hear is like shuffling and things things being like like what sounds like thrown across the room or somebody being thrown across the room. What was going on there? I think it was throwing the tables around because they had the tables all kind of organized so. You know, he could... I wasn't actually in the room. You know, they didn't let the kids in for the first meeting. So what I had done is I had run a wire with a microphone into the room from outside and hooked up a tape deck outside to record the whole thing. So, you know, this was like... I think I actually used Wally's own tape deck to record him. <laughs> but, it, is, um, it, is, it is people like a you, little genius children like a you. All right, so I'm going to stop it there. Um, I, I, I don't really want to hear anymore, and my sound person has walked away. <laughs> yeah, I so, get that reaction a lot. Um, I noticed that at, at, at one point during that, um, um, Marco asked, is this policy? Yeah, what? he asked, can I see the policy? So while, while did this, this teenager is being beat by the, this big guy named Wally with a thick belt, his only concern is show me the policy? He's trying to delay the, the beating. He's trying to find some way to get out of it, you know? I, I, I'm, this is weird for me. I'm actually at a loss for, for a word, words here. So when, um, when, 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 when Wally lost his temper and all, all you hear is like shuffling and things things being like like what sounds like thrown across the room or somebody being thrown across the room what was going on there i think he was throwing the tables around cuz they had the tables all kind of organized so you know he could i wasn't actually in the room you know they didn't let the kids in for the first meeting so what i had done is i had run a wire with a microphone into the room from outside and hooked up a tape deck outside to record the whole thing.
So, you know, this was like, I think I actually used Wally's own tape deck to record him. <laughs> you know, you want me to tell you the whole backstory of, you know, how it kind of transpired and everything? Uh, I want to know everything. Okay, so, um, you know, Marco was kind of Wally's favorite. You know, I mean, he had, he was one of the first kids there. and He was kind of he was kind of like Wally's enforcer. You know, I mean, I I when I got there um, with him, my mother dropped me off. And before she had even gotten back on the freeway, you know, all the kids were out in front of the house. And they were like, oh, new kid. Hey, let's bring out the boxing gloves. And I was like, okay, you know, sounds like fun. We'll have a little boxing. You know, I had no idea that Marco was like really into boxing. So, you know, he puts on, and he was, you know, we were about the same size. So he puts on the boxing gloves and we're just kind of, you know, I'm thinking, okay, this is like fun and games, you know? And then next thing I know, Marco's just drilling the crap out of me. I mean, he must've hit me at least 15 times, you know, just, just boom, 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 you know, and, you know, he was a trained boxer, you know, down in, in Mexico. So I didn't know that. So, you know, after about the 10th or 15th time I got hit, you know, I just, I pulled the gloves off and threw them on the ground, you know, cause I knew that was the only way he was going to stop. And, you know, I mean, that was before my mom had even gotten back on the freeway to go home, <laughs> you know, within the first 10 minutes. So, so, like, so anyway, as a child, Marco was kind of a dick. Yeah. Yeah. He was very obnoxious. In your opinion, did Marco deserve the punishment that we heard on the tape? Uh, he deserved a punishment, but not like that. That didn't, you know, that just, that didn't do him any good. It didn't do anybody any good. Do you uh, still talk to Marco? I had one communication with him after I released the tape where, um, he had sent me like a private message on one of the message boards. And, you know, I was like, well, how do I even know this is you, you know? And I got him to describe what kind of car he had. And, you know, he knew the exact same car and the, the color. So I basically asked him, do you want me to take your voice off of it? You know, and I'll re I'll just re-upload it with just Wally. And he said, no, that's okay. No big deal. He was just trying to figure out who it was that had recorded it. You know, I said, hey, it's me, Ian. You remember me? And so, but, you know, he had, he had beat the shit out of me a couple of times <laughs> while I was there. So, you know, I, I didn't really feel that sorry for him. Let me get, let me get back to the backstory on the recording. So I guess when, when Marco turned 16, since he was Wally's favorite, he, you know, he got his driver's license right away. Wally took him right to the car dealership and bought him a little, a little Nissan hatchback, you know, and he had like rules associated with it. Like he couldn't go to Los Angeles at night, you know, and he had to, you know, be back by a certain time. At one point, Wally took us all down to Mexico down to Tijuana and that's where Marco's parents lived. You know, we stayed at Marco's parents' house and they had a pretty nice little house in TJ. Marco, I guess we came back and to Palmdale and then we went back to TJ again, just me and Marco in in his little car. And we just started partying when we got down there and we were just drinking and drinking and drinking and you know, we ended up at the getting arrested in Tijuana. Usually Marcos, you, usually when you're in Tijuana and you're drinking you don't get arrested. Um was there anything else going on? Like like when when you say party, like I'm not really thinking drinking. What what else what what else was going on in Tijuana? No, they were they were um Marco 
and his group of friends would drive around Tijuana with, you know, a couple cases of Corona in the car and look for fights. That's what they did for fun. And okay. they would go down to a, they would go down to an area called the revolution where they would look for, um, blacks. They would look for black people to go beat up. So, you know, Marco wasn't really a good person. I mean, we actually went down to Rosarita Beach at one point, and they found a bunch of Mexicans who were from California, and they didn't like Mexicans from California because they weren't real real Mexicans to them. So they started this big brawl on the beach. I mean, it was it was insane. And after after you know the when the brawl started, like the police showed up with their AK forty sevens, and it was just totally crazy. But at one point, we were driving down the road, and um, I guess a, a traffic cop saw. Uh, saw me saw me drinking a beer so you know a few blocks later we got pulled over and they made us follow them to the police station and you know luckily mark one of the kids one of the kids we were with his uncle was a cop so nobody actually got arrested they just kind of we had to give them all our money basically <laughs> it cost like a hundred dollars or something to to buy our way out of it but um then marco was Marco wanted to get rid of me while we were down there. So he was like, I'm, I'm get out of, you know, he was like, we're in the middle of Tijuana. I'm drunk. And he's like, get out of my car. You know, I go, you know, get out of my car. I'm like, no, man, I'm not getting out of your car. You take me back to San Diego and you drop me off at the bus station. You know, you know, I'm not getting out of your car in Tijuana. You're going to get me killed. One of his friends had already gotten robbed trying to buy some pot. And we found him on the side of the road and they stole his boots and his jacket and all his money, you know, stuck a knife to his neck. And it was like, I'm not getting out of the car in Tijuana. You're crazy. So Marco drove me back to San Diego and dumped me off at the bus station. You know, I'm a 16 year old kid. I, I didn't, you know, anyways, Marco went back to Mexico to party with his friends and so at some point, you know, Wally had convinced him to come back and everything would be okay. And, you know, you're not in trouble. And meanwhile, you know, Wally's, you know, plotting this whole, what he called a justice action. So, you know, he was like, had it all prepared with the parents and the church and everything. You know, this was, you know, officially sanctioned by the church. They knew about it before it happened. You know, it was, they had what's called a case supervisor, yes. you know. I think Debbie Mace was actually the case supervisor. So if so there was she, somebody who, who would have actually have given the green light on this action, her name was Debbie Mace? Yeah, exactly. She was she was running the whole kind of, you know, she was in charge. It was her 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 ranch. This guy, Wally Hanks, was kind of the enforcer? Well, he was running it at his house, but, you know, he was... You know, if Debbie Mace said, you know, this kid is coming out, then that kid came out. You know, if Debbie Mace said, do this, he did that. You know, it was, she was, you know, a higher level Scientologist than he was. So they tricked Marco into coming back and, you know, he had no idea what was waiting for him. And he shows up, you know, I think, I think it was in the evening he got back and, you know, they took him right into the course room and, you know, and since, since, you know, I had already had the microphone and everything set up and. So I went outside and started the recorder and, you know, and Wally spent about an hour just lecturing him on, on L. Ron Hubbard's policies and all his, all, all his, his, you know, sins that he did, his, his out, out ethics that he did and his overts and his withholds and, you know, and just 
and I had all this record. I had all this recorded. They had a lot of personal stuff about Marco. That's kind of why I took it off the internet. There are ways to to um, protect people or uh, you know take names off of things with still getting the uh, message across. One of the reasons why I think that that would be kind of important is if enough people would do stuff like that we could kind of like start putting two and two together and start comparing like similarities and stories and finding patterns. And once we start finding patterns, we can really figure out what the, the, these groups are, are up to, how they operate and what to basically look for in groups that we, we maybe have not identified yet as a cult. You know, no one's going to be like, I really want to like kind of embarrass myself and tell my story and be honest. Like nobody really wants to do that. But to me, it's very important that we start recording these stories. You sharing what's happened so far, I think to somebody is going to be a, a really powerful. One of the uh, the uh, topics I, I would like to to bring up tonight, and you had mentioned this in your um, preliminary email to me, is that that you had to go through what they they call child hatting routines. Um, you had warned me that, that maybe talking about that would be a bad idea because it could trigger PTSD. And if you don't want to talk about it, like I am absolutely fine with that. Um, but if you don't want to talk about your experience with these, can you maybe ex explain like what a child having routine is? Yeah, I can, I can talk about, I mean, you know, if I start choking up, I'll, you know, I'll stop. I think somebody else out there might be having the, the same issues with these routines or, or procedures that, that children are put through? Yeah. Okay, so um, when I first got, you know, started doing Scientology in L.A., my, my um, what they call an FSM, the field um, service manager or whatever, um, was actually a woman named Devana Lewis. I don't know if you've heard of her. Devana and Michael Lewis, they're kind of big wigs in Scientology. I don't. Yeah, well, her son was Johnny Lewis. He was a um, Hollywood actor. He was in that show, um, oh, what, Sons of Anarchy. He was um, the, he played the character called Halfsack. His, his story does not end well. Exactly. So his mother was my mom's handler when, you know, and mine. She was like the first one that I experienced Scientology through. And she was, you know, a beautiful woman, and she was really nice and kind, and she didn't do anything cruel or anything like that so you know i had a good impression up until you know that point and at some point i got a new auditor you know after like a year or a year and a half or something and i didn't know who this woman was and they just took me to her house and dropped me off there and she says okay so we're gonna start doing these um i guess they call them cchs whatever you know the the training training routine. So she starts, you know, taking me around her house and she says, okay, you know, touch that table. And then I touch the table, you know, cause I'm trying to be cooperative. Okay, good. Now touch that chair. And, you know, and I'm like six years old. So, you know, I'm like, okay, I'll touch the chair, you know? And so she did that for, you know, I mean, probably, probably less than an hour before I said, you know, I'm not, I don't want to touch, I don't want to touch your stuff anymore. You know, I want to stop. And of course, you know, that, that's not, that's not allowed. So, you know, she grabs me and drags me over to the, whatever she wants me to touch and forces me to touch it. And then says, thank you. Now touch that wall. No, I'm not going to. Okay. Grabs me, drags me over the wall. 
forces me to touch the wall, thank you. Now touch that, you know, touch that sink. You know, and she did, she did this for, um, Oh, the first day was hours and hours of it. I mean, I, she was probably getting off on it, but <laughs> you know, it was like for a six-year-old kid, you know, I mean, they were trying to break me. That's exactly what they were trying to do is trying to, you know, break my free will. When I went to the Scientology Sunday services, I had a little daughter at the time, and they explained to me that a child, a kid, it's an adult trapped in a little body. That is one of their teachings. There's no difference between an adult and a kid. So to put a kid into that position where you have no choice but to put up with this bullshit, that to me is really, really messed up because you would not put an adult in that position. So to me, whoever was doing that to you was doing it as a complete and total contradiction as to what, what, what I read and what I was taught first going into the church. But as you go further into to the church, things kind of change. So it's really hard to, to know what Scientologists really, really, truly believe because there's so many lies. Like, was, was this child having routine normal or were you being abused? I mean, I'm going to say you, you were being abused, but, but was this normal within the eyes of the church? Do you think that this lady would have done this to an adult? Um, if she could get away with it, yeah. I mean, that was the standard. They call it Tone 40 mm. or 8C. have all these cult words for it, but it's basically, you know, you do what I say, and if you don't do what I say, I'm going to make you do what I say and then say thank you. My parents had paid for what they call an intensive, which was back then it was 12 hours of auditing was like $1,000. So it wasn't like now, you know, where it's $1,000 an hour. Mm-hmm. It was you know, an hour for 1000 or 12 hours for $1,000. But um, it took her, you know, over two days, you know, and she was required because she was being paid to do the whole 12 hours of this, what they call processing, you know, so. You said 12 hours of auditing, and like, like when I think of auditing, and, and I, I, I think a lot of people think of auditing as like Dianetics auditing or, or going on the cans and re- regressing to, to previous point points in life. I don't think, you know, you know, touch this, touch this, feel my finger is really um, auditing. Well, it's, it's mind control, but yeah, the whole, plus they, in Scientology, they use the feel my finger thing to groom the kids to allow adults to touch them all over their body. Do you, you really, know, and they, and they you, go you up, think that's what go, it is? Really? Yeah, they go, up, they go up your legs, they do your crotch, they do your chest, they do your buttocks. I mean, Oh my you God, know, like, like I, I have done the untouch assist and you know that, that thought has never crossed my mind that that could be used to, to groom a child. Yeah, I mean, they're taught, you know, if you're not feeling good, you get a touch assist to feel better and, you know, an adult Holy Scientologist is going to, is going to touch your legs, going to touch your chest, going to, you know, all over your body, you know, and it's just, it, yeah, it's sick. And, you know, and, and it, it, it makes sense because Hubbard surrounded himself when he was, you know, with the, um, what was the, the messenger service, you know, which were all young kids. <laughs> so far, every episode I have done of the show, there has been a moment where my mind is completely blown. And <laughs> this is... The, uh, this is the moment in this episode that, that I realized, like, that there's so much that actually happened when I was involved that I just didn't see. 
like maybe yeah. I'm still still blind, you know, like like what else am I going to going to figure out or even you're going to figure out years later, you know, after after, after leaving this uh, group. All right. So yeah. <laughs> all right, I'm going to my God, all right, this is one of this is the most difficult show I, I have done so, so far. So uh, I probably wouldn't have been able to even do it 10 years ago. Like what what uh, happened in the, the last 10, 10 years that like therapy or just time a time elapsing or I've basically just kind of gone over it, you know, myself, you know, when I when I've been able to basically what I did was about 10 years ago, I realized that I had a lot of repressed memories. And I was like, you know, I, I could actually I could actually see myself like I'd start thinking about something and my brain would just switch and I would not I would not let myself look at it. It, it was, you know, it was just like a switch in my brain. It would just turn turn that thought off. And, you know, I realized, wow. So I started actually um, self-medicating with and I don't recommend people do this, but I started self-medicating with huge amounts of cannabis and I started telling myself, OK, you know, it's OK to look at it. It's not going to hurt you. You know, just just look be able to look at it, you know, and get, you know, work through it. So, you know, I kind of spent about three or four years and, you know, I had, you know, a lot of, you know, symptoms and insomnia and, you know, depression and everything while I was going through that, you know, and I could, I can see how people would maybe, you know, you know, have a breakdown when they were trying to confront that, you know, I basically spent about three or four years just confronting everything. And, you know, when I was able to, you know, I would medicate myself and go over it and kind of just, you know, accept it, you know, it happened, it's over with, you know, move on. I think like so. a, a lot of people and like, I'm not really a statistics guy because, you know, I, I just kind of, I, I got burnt out on stats. Um, but one, one of the, the interesting things that I, that I read, and I really have no idea who the, the source was anymore, but was like, one of the statistics is, um, 80% of the people who leave a cult turn to drugs or, uh, or alcohol, you know? So, I mean, I did for, for a little bit, but you know, in, well, in, until I read these statistics and then I just, I didn't want to be a statistic. Um, but I mean, so, yeah. so you went, went down the road on like, like smoking, just, just, just weed or was there anything else? No, no, I, I don't like alcohol. I never liked hard drugs. It's just, you know, just cannabis was kind of my, my crutch, I guess you could I call know, it. Do you uh, smoke now? Uh, a little bit. Not, not every day. I, I mean, there's really nothing wrong with it. I mean, it is legal. I mean, you're in California, right? I'm in Oregon. So oh, it's even, oh, so actually, it's even more it's legal. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, they actually decriminalized meth and heroin and LSD up here too. I, mean, Wait, I probably shouldn't say that. Are you kidding me? Like, like you, meth? No, they, me, they, methamphetamine is is decriminalized in in Oregon. Yeah, if you have under two grams of meth in your pocket, the cop can give you a citation, like a traffic ticket, or he gives you the option to get um get some counseling. That you blows, know, blows but, my mind. Like growing up, like. I, I remember crystal meth was one of those things you were warned about. Like if you have an empty bag of crystal meth, but there was just like a little bit of powder, you, it was an insta felony twice in one episode. My head has exploded. My mind is blown. Yeah. Well, it's funny because all the amounts they decriminalize are just kind of exactly the amount that it takes to kill somebody. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can have like, like 80 hits of LSD up here and you won't go to jail. 
That... Mushrooms, ecstasy, it's all decriminalized now. <laughs> How has that like like affected the the day to day? Like like for the uh, person who who's not a, a drug user, do you do you think that's made them feel safer? Like, hey, no one's gonna rob me because drugs are going down no, in no. price because the risk is lower. Or are you more like, wow, that there's way more tweakers and LSD heads out here? Yeah, and they're they're just they're being really open about it now. But no crime, it just they just passed it at the beginning of this year. But um, yeah, crime has skyrocketed. You know, it's just it's obvious that it's going to be a disaster. It already is. But you know, these guys, and that's the thing people used to tell me. You know, when I was when I knew the people on drugs was yeah. You know, I I, I get a, I take a break every once in a while when I go to jail for a month or two. You know, I mean that's what saves them from you know just totally you know hitting rock bottom as they go to jail. Okay, you know I'm sober now and. You know, but that's gone. From Mace Kingsley Ranch. You recorded that audio in 1988. Yeah, I, I held on to that tape somehow for, you know, 25, 30 years. I somehow kept that audio cassette. And, you know, I mean, I think they knew I actually had it because another kid was involved in making the tape with me. And, you know, eventually... If he was still in Scientology, he would have had to confess that in his confessional, you know. What made you say, okay, now is the time to hit the Internet with this this, this new piece of information? Well, at first, um, when I first got on the Internet back in um, 1999, I guess, um, I was just going on there to, to basically download music from Napster. <laughs> when I was downloading a song, you know, I was waiting for it to download because it was really slow back then. And um, I just, you know, I went, opened another window and said, hey, you know, let's Google Scientology, you know. And I started seeing all this stuff. And I was actually using my mother, my OT7 mother's computer. And she is totally dedicated. I mean, hardcore, you know, they can do no wrong. So I was using her computer to do this research on. And I knew, I knew you know, instantly, you know, I can't talk to her about it. I can't tell her any of this stuff. I can't, you know, I can't say anything bad because what it will a, destroy her. What happens when you try? I just, I just left it alone for, um, till about 2009. What happened is my brother had moved up here and he got into all this dysfunctional stuff with us. And anyways, you know, I basically decided, you know, my relationship with my mother is already destroyed. So, you know, now I can do it. You know, there's nothing to lose. So, you know, I, I, you know, I think it was like just before Christmas, I was like thinking, okay, I'll do this as a Christmas present to the church. (laughs) And, you know, I, tried i tried to upload it anonymously you know i mean i did at first nobody knew who i was and i there was a couple websites that were talking about it one was ex scientology kids the other one was why we protest okay. and you know and, and they were going nuts over it you know and they're like is this real you know you know who is this you know when you know they wanted to know all this stuff and i was like sitting there you know and i couldn't really respond because i i wanted to remain anonymous and, so and you're, you're, I, you're not looking to remain anonymous anymore. No, no. I mean, I, I kind of, yeah, I, I don't really need my last name put out on the internet. I mean, there's a Fair lot enough. of crazy people out there. Fair enough. People in the movement know who I am because, you know, I've been using my real name on the internet for years. So, so anyways, um, you know, I was saying my, 
my, you know, I decided my relationship with my mother was destroyed. And, you know, so I, I released the tape and then I decided, okay, well now, you know, that, you know, I've done this and everything, you know, and I went and I actually started trying to talk to my mom about the stuff. I'm like, mom, look at, look at all these people, you know, that are dead now. They all, you know, they died under weird circumstances. And I, you know, I'd come in and I'd tell her like, there was this guy, Rex Fowler, that's R-E-X-F-O-W-L-E-R, that she used to work with as a computer programmer. And he went off and started his own software company, you know, and he was a, a top-level Scientologist. And um, you can Google his name. It's, it's a crazy story. Um, he had a bunch of computer programmers working for him, and he was scamming them, saying, okay, you got stock in the company. That's your pay. Uh-huh. And he had, a non, he had a non-Scientologist working for him, who came to him one day and said, Hey, you know, I want my money. And, you know, he's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Come to my office tomorrow morning. And I'll give you your money. And the guy came to his office and Rex Fowler pulled out a 45 and shot him in the head. <laughs> and then, and then he, and then he put the gun in his own throat and tried to shoot himself in the head, but he missed and he just shot himself through the mouth and the nose. And then he wandered out and he wandered outside to the police officers all bloody and tried to tried to kind of paint this picture where, you know, that guy shot me in there. Anyways, he's in prison for life now. It's, it's another. But that was, you know, one of my mom's friends. You know, and I went in there. I'm like, hey, mom, you know, you used to work with this guy. Look what he did. You know, and, and he's a Scientologist. You know, he's supposed to be ethical. <laughs> and, you know, this one after another, all these, you know, Johnny Lewis, when he died, you know, I, I went and told her, hey, do you remember Johnny Lewis? Oh, yeah, I, I held him when he was a baby. Well, look what he did. You know, and then there was, um, there's this, this long list of people she knows that have, you know, died under bizarre or just, you know, just horrible circumstances. And I trying to say, mom, look, you know, these people are bad. And, you know, she just wouldn't hear it. And she ended up getting a restraining, you know, we were, we owned a house together. She ended up going to the court and getting a restraining order on me saying I was mentally abusing her and, you know, got me thrown out on the street. I had no money, nowhere to go, you know, and luckily I I was part of a church and they kind of took me in, but, you know, and, you know, I basically, I ended up just signing my half of the house over to her and saying, you know, I'm done with this. I don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. You know, and it's kind of funny because now she's actually watching Leia Remini's show and, you know, she's like, oh yeah, David Miscavige is bad, you know, but she, she doesn't really get it that Hubbard was, you know, Hubbard was the catalyst for all of this. From what I've witnessed, the ex-Scientologist, like, like categories are the ones who, um, are like it, this is all bad this is all harmful or they're the ones that are like well it was good in the beginning when hubbard was doing it and it turned to shit when miscavige took over but it seems like all this stuff which has been leaked all the stuff which has been talked about multiple eyewitnesses it seems like it is kind of a bad group all i did i asked my mom give me 30 minutes to show you some stuff that i found credible stuff about the church and she would not hear a word of it. It was just like, just like completely shut down, you know, no, you're wrong, you're evil. And then she started actually contacting the church and, you know, and say, hey, my son is, this, you know, part of this anonymous group. And he, he's a terrorist, you know, and he might blow up the church or something, you know. And well, <laughs> the, like, like, really when you, when you say, say the word anonymous, meaning a, a group, it's a pejorative that usually has like a um 
a um, bad meaning. The media or the powers that be or Scientology has painted Anonymous in a uh, negative light that a lot of people or the general public is going to look at and say, that's a kind of like a weird group that like we can kind of categorize as terrorists. But if you take the time and really look into the group Anonymous, from what I've seen, they, they stick up for the, uh, the little guy who, who is being bullied, kind of almost like, like a good group, uh, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's just, you know, some of their tactics that they use are illegal. So, you know, I mean, that's where they get kind of in the in the bad light. Well, I mean, what a, but, what a Robin Hood did was technically illegal. <laughs> yeah, well. Get, getting back to, to the video, I, I, I don't want to become a, a target of Anonymous. The, the moral is Anonymous good. Getting back to it, you, you've released the audio tape. Yeah, so next thing I know, I'm homeless, and, you know, my I got no, I can't talk to my mother because there's a court order, you know, that I'm restrained for a year, and, uh, yeah, it was a big mess. It was a big mess. What was the uh, reaction I, from the uh, church itself? I, I'm sure there was a reaction. Uh, no, well, none that I saw. You know, I'm sure they were keeping track of everything, and, and you know, but, um, you know, she had um, a friend of hers that was still involved, and she's actually out now too. That was reporting on, you know, everything that my mom told her, and writing knowledge reports, and you know, she it, was writing it, knowledge reports about you and your mom because of the tape, or just because your mom was like out. Well, because I was involved with the Why We Protest and Anonymous. Gotcha. Okay, you know, gotcha, gotcha. So, so they actually knew you were you were involved with the uh, the, the the protest groups. Yeah, they came to my house um, probably about, I'd uh, say, two or three months maybe after I released the tape. It couldn't have been, well, no, it had to be less than three months. But no, it was probably about two or three months later that a couple Sea Org members showed up at my house when my mom was out in the garden, and they kind of surrounded her, and, uh, you know, they started regging her, saying, well, let's get you back on on the bridge you know can you, you got you got some money you can put on on a couch you know and he was like you know no i just want to you know i'm just I'm, I'm i don't have any money i'm just living my life here it's kind of funny um while while they were um while they were kind of confronting her on one side of the house i climbed out a window i had security cameras all over the place by then <laughs> I, I crawled out a window on the other side of the house and let the air out of one of their tires. <laughs> so I kind of—I guess I can admit that now. It was <laughs> over ten years ago. And you know what? Yeah, I'm going to go I, ahead I and edit that out just in case because I don't want them to have any kind of ammo. No, no, you can put it in there. I don't. It's you know. Right, fair enough. <laughs> but I—I I, I don't mind at all. I mean, they got—they got so much dirt on me, you know, from my childhood confessionals that you know. I'm sure that, you know, eventually they'll throw it at me, but... They have dirt on you from when you were a child. Yeah, like, Wally Hanks actually got the last good confessional out of me when I was 16, and, um, so... How old are you now? 49. Okay, anything that and, you did when you were a child, can you cannot be held morally, legally accountable for. You, you were a child. So whatever they have yeah. on you that you did when you were a kid, who gives a crap? That was when you were a kid. They can put it in their little hate websites, you know. And... Well, I mean, who like the uh, cool thing about doing the these kind of shows about 
how, how Leia Remini kind, kind of, I don't know if she went first, but, but so far she went the biggest. And the, the cool thing is, is like back in the day when, when Scientology would do the uh, hate website, like, like, like who is, you know, Chris Sheldon or, or, or who is Tony Ortega? And they would release like these terrible, terrible things about you. And then when you would go to apply for a job, people would Google you and like they would find this terrible website. So you, they wouldn't hire you. But with the word getting out that this is one of their tactics, a lot of employers now like Google you. And, you know, it, as long as it's connected to Scientology, they just go, oh, it, it's Scientology. Who, who, who gives a shit what they, they say? You know, so they're really losing a lot of credibility. And that, that is like why we do this stuff, right? So that we can get these stories out there so that we, we can expose them for what's really going on. Hey, Trevor here. Uh, thank you so much for listening to My Truth On. Um, we're going to end the episode here. This is a two-parter. This was part one you are listening to about the Mace Kingsley Ranch. And we were talking to Ian. Ian will be back next episode for part two of this conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you, Ian, for being a part of this episode. And thank you to everybody else who participated either in an online discussion or anybody that I've talked to so far online about possible topics. Uh, please email me if you can, if you have a story to tell at mytruthonscientology at gmail.com. And don't forget to like, subscribe, do all that stuff because it, it actually really does help. Thanks, guys. Bye.